No, I didn't actually attempt. Um, I haven't gotten to that point, I guess. The courage, the strength that it takes to be open and honest about this. Instead of just, you know, blaming myself that he's not here anymore. Uh, I was prepared to shoot myself. And I called my family uh, to sort of say goodbye. To be honest, I was scared reaching out for help because I was like, this could totally ruin my career. Somebody to have a more proactive approach and that he was coming to me to be that person. They found him and he committed suicide. I just started screaming. I just felt responsible. Hello everyone, I am Tim Lawson, host and founder of the One Too Many Veteran Suicide Podcast, here for the sixth episode of the series. This episode is going to bring us an Army veteran who recalls an incident from five or six years ago where a friend of his in the Army took his own life, and the circumstances that surrounded it, how he dealt with it, what he's learned, and then a quote-unquote happy ending to what he's been able to do since then and how he's been able to take what he's learned and save other lives through that experience. Of course, if you are new to the show, just like any time I ask that you respect my guests, please respect their opinions, their stories. It's not easy to come on it's not easy to come forward and share stories revolving suicide, whether it's their own or a story of a friend or, uh, or a family member. Uh, so please do respect them. When I originally conceptualized this project, I thought my episodes were would be snippets put together into a themed episode. And so the way that I conducted my interviews were much more conversational and a little less, uh, little less emphasis on chronological order of the story and whatnot. I was just trying to get information and uh, I really just wanted to discover things about the stories that I could use where appropriate. And as I moved forward with the show, um, I realized that each interview, each story deserved its own time and in its entirety. So as you probably noticed in the past couple episodes and you may notice in this one, um, you know, some of the questions that I ask are, you know, it forces the story to maybe jump around a little bit, and that's not by design. That's just you know that that was you know these are the easiest ways to get this information, the right material, without forcing anything. Um, this week's guest is an Army veteran. He shares with us about the stigmas on how to deal with suicide and how we assume we're prepared and that we'll know what to do, but when that time comes. Um, it's not the case, and, and most of all, how the illusion of happiness can really be masking the true issue. Uh, and you'll you'll see what I see what I mean when when he gets into his story. Um, I have not heard back from him regarding how he'd like to be referred to, so I am going to respect that and keep him anonymous at least through the audio portion of this podcast. I will be back in the reflections to speak on how I feel about what he shared with us and what we can do moving forward Think and keeping this story into consideration. Well, you know, I, when I first saw your uh, your post, it kind of got me thinking about um, this story as far as um, it's not really something that it's kind of always in the back of my mind. It pops up, you know, every now and again. 
um, throughout the years. It's been about, uh, I'd say like five or six years. Um, one of my buddies, good buddy of mine, um, he was actually one of my soldiers, uh, for a short while. Um, we, uh, we met on the, on the back end of a 16 month deployment in Afghanistan. Um, he came out there. I'm not sure exactly how long he was out there. Um, cause we were in different locations, but you know, we all met up, um, on the redeployment phase, um, back in, in Bagram air base, uh, the, uh, kind of the beginning of 2008. Um, I had been over in Afghanistan since 2007, um, in January, we were coming back in April and, um, he was a, a specialist at the time. And we came back, got to, uh, Fort Bragg. We're in the 82nd Airborne Division. And, um, <clears throat> me, couple other buddies, um, and this guy, I'm not using his name, you know, obviously just right. to protect him and his sure. family. But, um, <clears throat> we came back and, uh, we all would, you know, hang out as a group, um, go out, you know, uh, to the bar or whatever, um, hang out at work. Uh, we were, you know, just all real, real supportive of each other, you know, the, the whole brotherhood of the military and everything, um, looking out for each other's best interests. And, um, you know, as he was one of my soldiers, I was, uh, getting ready to, it was, it was several months after, um, we'd come back from, from Afghanistan, getting ready to send him off to, uh, his first NCO academy so that he could become an NCO. Um, he was a real high speed guy, just super squared away. Um, you know, real jovial, uh, loved life, uh, super funny guy, you know, always, always had us laughing and in stitches. And, um, there was, uh, one day he came up to me, um, and was just asking me for kind of some relationship advice. He was going through some stuff with his girlfriend at the time. Um, they had just found out that she was pregnant. And, uh, you know, asked me, kind of pulled me off to the side and, and, uh, expressed, you know, that he was going through some stuff and having some, some relationship issues. Um, and, uh, you know, I was, you know, just looking at it solely as, you know, Hey, it's, you know, this guy's, uh, you know, coming to me as his leader, as, as his friend, um, asking me some advice because, you know, I'm married and, and he wants some, <clears throat> you know, my perspective from, from my point of view on the whole situation, um, you know, he's just having a lot of, a lot of issues with his, with his, um, relationship. And, you know, other than that, I didn't know of any other real issues that he was having in his life. Um, really wasn't anything that we got too deeply involved in as far as, uh, you know, past, past, uh, issues or anything like that. Um, so I was really only aware of this one issue that he was having with his relationship. Um, and he did, um, actually mention to me while talking that, uh, he had had thoughts of suicide. Um, and it didn't, I mean, even though he said something about it, it didn't really, you know, ring any alarms in my head as far as, you know, Hey, he's just at a really tough spot. Um, and he just needs somebody to talk to and that's going to help him. And, and I thought that would be good. And it didn't really, uh, resonate with me at the time that, that he was really hurting, uh, and, 
really needed uh, somebody to have a more proactive approach and that he was coming to me to be that person, um, you know, and, and, and to, to stand up there and, and, and do what was right and take care of him and, and make sure that, you know, he got out of that dark place that he was, he was in. Um, I mean, I did advise him to go to the chaplain, um, but, you know, in looking back at it, uh, I, I, I feel like, you know, I kind of failed him in a way because I didn't do everything that we get taught to do in, you know, our suicide prevention classes. And that would be, you know, to actually take him to the chaplain, you know, wait for him, make sure that talking to the chaplain was what he needed. And if not, you know, get him, uh, you know, more help because there's just so much help that we have in, in the military. Um, and, you know, a lot, and it's, I think it's great all the progress that we have made to remove the stigmas of, of seeking help and admitting that, you know, you're in a low spot and you can't get through it on your own and you need other people to, to kind of step in and, and help you along. Um, but, you know, back then it's, it was, I'd never been confronted with, with the warning signs of somebody that was, was contemplating suicide. Um, and, you know, you get all the training in the world and you think, you know, a lot of the time people, you know, look at the annual training, the requirements that we have to get suicide prevention awareness and, and all that stuff. And, and it's, you know, it just seems so repetitive and, and it's always the same stuff over and over again. And, and you think, oh, you know, I don't need to, to pay attention to this stuff because if it ever happens to me, I'm going to know exactly what to do. You guys tell me this all the time. But, you know, you don't really realize um, what a challenge it really is in your own mind to overcome, you know, some of the some of the stigmas you have in your own mind of what it is to, to have suicidal thoughts and, and be confronted with it until it actually happens. Um, and, you know, you can you can make mistakes and 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 you look back after the fact, you know, hindsight's always twenty twenty, and you and you look at it and you go wow, you know, I, I screwed up here. I could have done more for him. Um, how, how did you find out after your friend took his life? How did you find out? Oh, um, that, that sucked because, um, he was supposed to be going to, um, WLC, which is the army, um, NCO Academy that you go to, um, before you can get promoted to, to E5. Um, and I was supposed to be his sponsor, and I'd been calling him all morning from like three o'clock in the morning, making sure that he was ready to go, leaving voicemails. Um, you know, and I was getting angrier and angrier because he wasn't picking up. I wasn't getting through to him. Um, I was actually at the WLC Academy waiting on him to show up, uh, you know, with his weapon ready to go because he had to have his weapon there. And, uh, my other buddy, uh, another E6, called me and said, hey, man, you need to come to the company. And didn't say what it was about or anything like that other than that, um, you know, uh, it was a there was a situation with this guy. And uh, I got back to the company. Uh, I was sitting in my, my truck and my buddy was out in the parking lot and came up to me and told me that he had committed suicide. And I just kind of sat there in my car for I don't know how long and was just trying to process it and I just couldn't believe it 
that that he, that I was just told that that he had committed suicide. It just didn't make any sense to me. Uh, and my just you know my my mind was sitting there reeling. You know, at at what point did I know that this was a possibility? And I thought back to when he first came up to me and said that he was thinking about it. Um, you know, I I never went back and actually followed up to make sure that that talking to the chaplain was was what he had needed to get over that that rough spot. Um, and he had actually even called me just a little bit before I started calling him, and I thought it was related to um, you know something that he needed to get ready to go to WLC. Um, and as soon as I found out that he had committed suicide, I started thinking he, he wasn't calling me about WLC. He was calling me because he was about to do it and he wanted somebody to talk to, to talk him out of it. And I didn't, I wasn't there to pick up the phone and, and, and stop him. Um, you know, it was, I've, I've been through years of, of therapy, uh, where I've talked about this stuff and, and, uh, you know, I talk about it like I, I still have that guilt of, you know, it was it was my fault. I didn't do enough. I wasn't there when he needed me. You know, I could have prevented it. Um, you know, and a lot of therapists have told me that, that uh, you know, it's not your fault because he was going to do it anyways. Um, but I just, you know, I, I got very combative with them, you know, initially. And I, and I understand where they're coming from, but I still feel, you know, in my heart that, that there was more that I could have done, um, and I could have potentially stopped it, and you know he could still be here with us today. Um, if if you if you had gotten the chance to bring him to the chaplain, and he talked to the chaplain, came out, and was just honest with you, and you're like that didn't help. What do you feel like your next move would have been? What do you, what do you feel like would have been a step in the right direction? for for him personally to be able to reconcile with his issues for for him um in his particular situation the type of guy that he was um you know i would have i would have first asked him if he wanted to go talk to somebody at, at mental health um you know the an actual certified um you know psychologist or therapist or whatever uh and and escorted him over there if I was, you know, if I had it all, all to do over again. Um, but even then, uh, I would have offered, you know, Hey, do you want to talk to any of our other buddies? Do you want to, you know, all of us to sit down and, and discuss this? Um, cause I think that would have, that would have helped him, um, <clears throat> in his situation to be able to talk to all of us and know that, you know, we all had his back and whatever he was going through, he wasn't going through it alone. Um, and that we were there and available to him um, to help him through it. You mentioned that, and, I, and this is one of the problems um, that I think all the branches of the military face, especially the Army and the Marine Corps, Navy, obviously. I mean, I can only assume the, the Air Force suffers from it as well, is that the suicide prevention briefs are repetitive. They're the same check-in-the-box sort of approaches to let's make sure we're getting the information to our, our warriors, but no one's actually communicating the realities of it. And it's almost like seeing an infomercial. 
you know, like you see it and you understand that the, the material is real and that there's a reason for it, but it's hard to resonate with it, especially when if you receive it the first time and you don't have a purpose for it, repeating that same material after that, even if sooner or later you realize you do need that material, it sort of becomes mundane. And do you feel like the military would be more effective with their suicide briefings if they had real-life stories to present to them? Like, do you feel like if you... You know, let's take this situation for for example. If you feel like you were given the opportunity to talk to a unit about what happened, do you feel like the do you feel like if you were in that crowd, it would be more effective and be and help you be more proactive in the same scenario? Oh, definitely. I mean, there's there's definitely a lot of good points that that get brought up on what you can do. Um, but yeah, it's definitely, it's, it's so repetitive. I mean, if you look at the difference between how they approach suicide prevention and it's just, um, you know, steps, uh, in a process and there's, there's no, they're not making that human connection with the audience like they do in the sexual harassment, um, prevention, um, training that they have. You know, we've got, we had to watch that, um, that video about, uh, what was it? I can't remember what it was called, like Silent War or, right. or whatever. Yeah. You know, we watched that in for one of our suicide or I mean, um, rape prevention classes. And you and you've always had them presenting, you know, dramatizations and videos of, you know, potential events that you could that you could come come uh, come across. And I think that that it, it, it engages the audience more. And it, and it makes it a little bit more, it makes it more personal to them because, I mean, with like, uh, with training like suicide prevention, it didn't become personal for me until I had experienced it. Right. Uh, and had been through it in my own life. And that, you know, makes it important to me to get the classes and, and to put the training out there for, for the soldiers. Um, and you know, whenever, whenever it does come up, I, I'd usually, you know, share uh, a little bit uh, of my own experience. Um, and sometimes you have other, you know, soldiers and NCOs doing the same thing from the audience. Um, but that's not always the case. You know, before, um, uh, you know, I had a story to tell from my own personal experience. It was just that repetitive, you know, here's the, here's the warning signs and here's what you do if, if somebody ever comes up to you and you got to remain vigilant and you, you know, look out for your buddies. But it's, you know, if you don't have those personal experiences to relate to, um, and, and make it more engaging for the audience, it's, it's just facts at that point. It's just pieces of information and it, it's not always going to stick. And, you know, like I said, uh, when I got presented with it for the first time in real life, um, uh, I didn't go through all the steps that they tell you to go through. You know, I kind of was like, you know, thinking, okay, what do I need to do here? But, you know, it was just, oh, get them to a chaplain, get them to talk to somebody. But it wasn't, um, you know, oh, I saw a, you know, I, I, I listened to somebody else's story about how they actually walked them there and made sure that they did it. I mean, they tell you to do that, but it's, it just doesn't stick with you as well right. unless you have those those experiences and especially you know the experiences um where there was a where there was a failure 
in the in the process or you know where um you know somebody actually uh did carry out their intentions and commit suicide because you know even if you do everything right you can still learn from it i mean there i i i completely believe that suicide is is 100% or well not 100% avoidable because i mean you know if somebody's just completely intent on doing it yeah they're going to do it but i think that um it's a hundred percent avoidable to um, to not put yourself in a situation where you're going to feel like you did something that you were to blame for. Uh, yeah, if, if that makes sense. No, absolutely. Um, and I, I appreciate you sharing all this with me. When he when he first brought up with you personally that he was considering suicide, you know, like you, like you mentioned, it, it's easy to sort of do a quick evaluation of the tone and the context and sort of the environment. And as someone, you know, personally, one of the reasons why this project is so um, close to me is, you know, one, I, you know, I, I am a military veteran and I have experienced my own suicidal behavior. Yeah. And, you know, those two things combined made me want to focus on veteran suicide. And as someone who's experienced suicidal thoughts, I, I know what I know how it sounds when you tell someone and I know there's ways to tell someone it's a little bit, bit worse than it sounds and there's ways to tell people that you're considering it but trying to reassure them that it's not a problem. Um did did he do anything in that context to sort of designate whether it was a serious problem or was or that did he do anything to try to lighten it a little bit to almost reassure you that you don't need to be worried? Was there any sort of tone that he used that, uh, that made you feel one way or the other? I think my my issue at, at the time was that I just didn't see him as somebody that would ever contemplate that. And when he, when he first said it, when the words came out, um, there was, you know, his voice was a little shaky. Um, I could tell that he was, he was definitely hurting and he was going through some stuff and he needed, uh, he needed to talk about it. Um, you know, which is why I thought, oh, I'll send him to the chaplain. That'll be, that'll help because that, you know, that's what the chaplain's there for. Um, and, and, and he's much better suited for it than me, um, to talk about it. And, um, I mean, I did think that, you know, my personal thoughts were not that he would, he was actually seriously contemplating it because I just didn't, I didn't think that, that he was, that he would do it. Um, you know, it was just my personal, uh, opinion, um, that, that he couldn't possibly get that low where he would think that that was the only answer. Um, and that, you know, he was just, you know, like anybody else, just having a, a rough time and needed to talk about it, and that would that would resolve the issue. So, I mean, when when he first said it, it was he, he had he had a you know a shaky voice. Um, I could tell it kind of you know it seemed like he was trying to avoid you know tearing up in front of me. Right. Um, but you know, then we we talked a little bit, um, just kind of about you know the the issue of you know just him having some 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 relationship issues um and then you know we were still talking um and i think we kind of you know got a little bit off topic towards the end before you know i i kind of brought it back and said hey you know make sure you get 
get to the chaplain and talk to him. That's going to make you feel better. That's the best thing you can do right now. Um, you know, we talked about other stuff and, and by the end of the conversation, um, you know, we were joking around and, and laughing and, and so, you know, in the closing portion of the conversation, I kind of felt like, you know, yeah, he was, his voice was shaky, kind of seemed like he was about to cry, but, um, it was because he was talking about the situation. Everything was on his mind, yeah. you know, about what his issue was. And so, you know, he was kind of feeling a little bit low, um, and distraught, but, um, you know, when, when I was able to talk to him about other stuff and seeing him laugh and, and, and joking around like he always did, I kind of felt like, you know, it's, it's, it's not something that, uh, he can't overcome and that he can't, he can't deal with because he's still able to joke around and still able to laugh and, and all that stuff. And I think that, um, you know, kind of maybe the biggest takeaway for me from that was, um, you know, if they're not sitting there, I mean, you can take their mind off it temporarily, but if it's really a, a big issue, um, you know, especially when they're when they're alone, it's going to come back and it's going to be it's going to be just as bad or even worse if it's if it doesn't get properly addressed and, and you're not taking care of it. You can't just you know kind of push it off to the side and ignore it and say, well you know, all this other stuff still makes you laugh because they're still a human being. They're still going to have those normal responses. And if, if you can take their mind off of something, yeah, they're not going to, they're not going to be thinking about it. So they're not going to, it's not going to constantly affect them. Um, you know, in, in every second of their, of their day, you gotta, you gotta look at, at those moments when it does affect them and, and, and take those for what they are and don't, you know, kind of, kind of get tunnel vision, if you will, and, and just focus on that. And say, you know, they're in a they're in a dark spot and they need help. And if it doesn't get addressed, it's just going to get worse. Um, even if you know everything else in their life seems peachy, um, you know, you just you can't you can't look at the whole the whole picture of how they are, you know, all throughout the day. That you got to look at how they are in that moment when they're talking about what their issue is, and take that seriously, and, and you know, take it at face value, and don't factor in other stuff. Uh, and think, well, you know, all the, all these, all these other times we're talking, I know he, he mentioned this, but now, you know, we're joking around and we're having fun. Um, you know, it's not something that's constantly going to affect you. Right. And I, it, right. I mean, the, the distraction of laughter definitely doesn't stifle the torment that, uh, that they're suffering from. And I think that, um, you know, and, and the reason why I ask you is, you know, not really to, you know, I mean, like to shine a spotlight on, on this, on, you know, the conversation you guys had and sort of, you know, your response to it. But I think it's, it's important for people to, to hear firsthand that, um, you know, it's, it's easy to sort of, you know, cause he faces cognitive dissonance of, does he need help or is he okay? And you're, I think we want so badly for our friends to be okay that as soon as there's one thing that makes us feel like we can say that, he, that they are, that's the way that we go. Yeah. Um, and I, I think, um, you know, I, I talked to a Marine a few weeks ago, um, who personally struggled with suicidal behavior. And, um, you know, he, I mean, it's one of some of the most more powerful stuff I've, I've gotten from a firsthand experience. He was, you know, he, straight up said, you know, he was like, I'll just reach out for help because we're, t we're told so often that we need to be strong and assertive uh -huh. and that, um, you know, that we can't be broken or weak or anything. And, 
Um, you know, it's, it's that there's just that thin barrier that, that people, that I think a lot of veterans just need help busting through and they realize how much support is on the other side. Um, and I think, I think it's important for people to remember that, um, you know, all it takes is one of their friends to help them bust that wall down. Yeah. Um, and I, it's, um, you know, obviously, like I said, hindsight's twenty twenty. Um, is, did your unit, um, what was the response from the unit? <laughs> oh, I, uh, I almost, I, I had a really hard time not punching my company commander in the face. We, we went on a, a company run, um, a couple days after the incident and our, uh, our company commander led us off, you know, the side of the, the running path, um, and kind of had us, you know, get under it, get under a tree, sit down, um, and, and wanted to talk about it. <clears throat> and I honestly don't really remember much else of what he said other than, um, he, he called the kid weak and said that suicide was, was a coward's way out. Uh, and basically just, he basically just bashed this kid for his decision and what he did and told and said that he was selfish because he didn't think about, you know, anybody else but himself, um, in committing suicide and wasn't thinking about how it would affect anybody else. And I just, you know, I couldn't believe that that was the response. Uh, you know, I just, I wanted to, I wanted to punch him in the face so bad. Uh, you know, and I, and I wanted to just walk away from the situation. Uh, and, 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 you know, and it wasn't just me. Um, you know, there was, there was a good four or five of us that were really close to this kid. And, you know, we were all just, you know, in our own way, uh, trying to deal with it. And just to hear, you know, the company commander, his response being that, that the kid was a coward. And, you know, I was like, you know, it, it, do you, I don't don't mean to interrupt, but you know, there's obviously, you know, there's, there's gotta be a motive to what the, what this guy is saying, right? So yeah. there's got to he he's got to feel like he's making some sort of point. Do you think, um, just for, because you you know you were there, um, do you think that he was saying these things to instill fear in people to deter them from considering the same option, or do you feel like he was trying to dismiss it as in it's not our fault, it's it was his problem? Like, do you think he was trying to wipe his hands clean, like? He was a coward. There was nothing we could do. Or do you think he was trying? Do you think feel like maybe he honestly thought he was doing good by telling you don't kill yourself because it's a coward way out? Um, honestly, I I think uh you know part of it was just he was a prick. Um, and then the other part of it was he was just trying to uh to be blameless, um, and say that you know it was nothing that we did. And that just wasn't, you know, in my opinion, it wasn't the case because, um, 
I don't I don't know what the you know what the company commander or the chain of command knew about the situation. I'm not sure if the if um if you know the soldier had had gone to them at all. I don't think that he did. Uh and I don't know if the chaplain um brought it to their attention either. Um my my understanding of it after the fact was that you know, me and my buddies knew that he had gone to the chaplain. Um, but for, from what I was told from them, they, the chaplain, uh, hadn't brought it up to the chain of command. Um, I, I don't know, you know, exactly what the situation was there. Um, so I mean, like, uh, to me, it kind of seemed like, you know, I, my perspective, um, on it was that the chain of command didn't know anything about it prior to. So to, kind of present it like we did nothing wrong and you know kind of it, it seemed like he was kind of you know being defensive um and saying that you know they were blameless uh and it was all this kid's fault that i was kind of you know it didn't make any sense to me why he would be approaching it that way because if he didn't know anything about it then yeah you know you are blameless yeah um you know maybe maybe he did feel like being, you know, the company commander and the, and the leader of the entire company that he should have known. Um, and maybe he was upset about that. I, you know, I don't know exactly what was going through his mind, but I mean, this is the same guy that, you know, told us that because we were MI guys that none of us would ever, uh, should ever, uh, qualify to earn a purple heart. And it, you know, and I'm like, anybody that knows what you get a purple heart for is like, you know, why would MI guys be exempt from that? Um, just because of their MOS. And it, it you know, he, he was the guy that would say stuff like that. And it, it was just like, it was mind boggling to, to us to be like, you know, I don't understand where any of this is coming from. I mean, the guy was just, he really was a, a prick and not a whole lot of us liked him. Um, you know, and it was just like, it was, you know, this wasn't the the only instant instance of an inappropriate response to something uh, that just kind of, you know, nobody saw coming. You know, it kind of just threw everybody on their heels. Um, so yeah, I mean, it was just the the guy was just a, a, a prick pretty much the whole time that I knew him. Um, so I mean, it was like it didn't. Uh, I guess it didn't shock me greatly, but it still shocked me um, yeah. that, that 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 was the response. You know, that you know. I mean, I could understand, like, like, you know, um, kind of like, you know, part of your question being to kind of try to, you know, thinking that it was the right way to approach it to deter people from doing it. Um, but I think there was, you know, kind of a, a little bit more, um, you know, I guess politically correct way to approach it, um, to, to let people, you know, I, I think it's just better to let people know that, you know, everybody, everybody struggles with stuff and, and some, some things are going to hit you that, that you just can't deal with on your own. And yeah. it's not, you know, it's not weakness to seek help. Um, you know, and I can understand if, if, if they even say, you know, it's, it's actually weaker not to seek help. You know, it's, it's more cowardly not to seek help. Um, thinking that you're going to be seen as a coward or weak. Um, and I mean, you bring up a good point of, you know, it, it, it is hard in the, in the career field that we're in, you know, we're, we're war fighters. We're, we go through the 
it's, you know, some of the toughest training in the world, you know, the, the highest level of stress imaginable. And we're trained to deal with it as best we can. But at the end of the day, we're still human beings. We still have emotions. You can't turn that stuff off. Uh, and things affect people different ways. You know, some people can go through an incident unscathed emotionally. Uh, and some people come out, you know, just completely uh, shattered. Um, and it doesn't even, you know, it doesn't even have to be, you know, squaring off with the enemy in a firefight. You know, it could just, it, there's just so many things that can happen that, that everybody experiences the world differently. And you never know what, what you know, how you're going to respond to something until you experience it. And just because you're responding that way, it doesn't mean that somebody else is, is perceiving that situation the same way and, and, and coming to the same response. So you just have to, you know, you just have to understand you can't dismiss anybody for, you know, e you know, even if you went through the same exact experience, you can't dismiss somebody's emotional response to a situation and say, well, I didn't respond that way. So you can't possibly be responding that way. You have to, you have to take everything, um, with objectivity and yeah. say, you know, it's very possible that, that, that this really screwed this guy up and it, and it just didn't affect me this time. Um, you, know, you just can't dismiss, you can't be dismissive even after the fact of what somebody was going through, um, and what, what brought them to where, where they ended up going. Right. Nick, I, I really appreciate you talking to me today. It's, this is, um, I mean, this is a really powerful story, and um, I, I already know that um, there's a few parts from it I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use for emphasis in the project. Um, is there is there anything else that you came into today hoping to get off your chest, hoping to communicate to people who um, either are thinking about suicide themselves or have maybe been in your experience where someone has approached them about? Is there anything if, anything else you want to say? Um, I I would say that. Um, you know, for me, um, it, it did take a while to kind of, I mean, it's still, um, you know, kind of something that I, I do feel guilt for. And I think I will for, for the rest of my life. You know, I can look back at, at the situation and say that, you know, I could have done this differently. Or I could have done that differently. Um, but then, you know, it's, it's, uh, you know, there's nothing I can do now to change it. Um, all I've been able to do is, is move forward and take this experience with me and never forget, um, you know, how things played out, uh, how it made me feel, uh, you know, both for my friend, my, you know, his family, what they must have gone through, um, you know, what I went through losing, uh, losing a good friend and a good soldier, um, and, and just keep that with me anytime that, uh, you know, anytime that I talk to my soldiers and I think I'm more, more, um, alert now, more, more vigilant in looking for the warning signs. I, I had another soldier and, and it was, um, you know, not, it was, it was just a few months ago, um, when I actually got to the unit I'm in now, uh, and this, the, the, this kid reminds me so much of my buddy that I lost, uh, too. So it really kind of brought up a lot of those old emotions that I'd kind of tucked away for a while. Um, uh, he just, he, he looks so much like him. Um, and he came up to me and he, he was having relationship issues and it kind of just, you know, I got hit with that wall of emotion 
uh, talking to him and, and he came up to me after PT one day, uh, just in tears. Um, and, and because his wife and kids are, are, um, you know, a few states away right now where they were they're they're there to get they're re re uh, reconnected now uh, living together but um you know he was going through kind of a, a very similar situation um and you know this time I made sure that that I took him personally to the chaplain and waited for him to come out and I talked to him um and, and asked him you know just point blank hey are you you know is this is this something that's bothering you so bad that you're actually thinking about hurting yourself uh you know and he was you know immediately was like no you know it's never that i would never do that um and you know i i i believed him but at the same time i was like you know what i'm not i'm still gonna you know escort him where he needs to go make sure that that he talks to him and and do that follow-up that that i felt like i didn't you know the, the things that i felt like i failed the last time um you know i made sure that that I did everything that that I thought I did wrong before, um, you know, and he, he got through that rough spot. And I, I don't think that, you know, he was ever in that danger of, of seriously contemplating it, but he was, you know, in a low spot and, and needed help. And, you know, my experience, my personal experience with it previously, I think, um, you know, just had me more alert, more attentive, and, and more vigilant throughout the process and making sure that he got the help that he needed. Uh, and, you know, and continuing that, that daily follow up after the fact, um, to, you know, ask him how his situation was going and, and just make sure that he knew that, that I cared and that, you know, if he needed somebody to talk to, that I was there. The One Too Many Veteran Suicide Project has so far featured some really honest and powerful, insightful, and thought provoking stories. But for some reason, this one really caught my attention in the early stages of the interviews that I was conducting, and I've been able to take snippets from it and use them in presentations, and it's obviously, you know, it's used in the in the intro, and there's just something about his story and the way he tells it that really, you know, like Zach's account of losing his friend, there's a sense of responsibility and there's something to really admire about that. And, you know, I think you know that's one interesting part of suicide is when someone takes their own life, those close to them feel responsible. An optimistic part of this of this story and of this circumstance is he was he was able to use his experience to save another soldier's life. He was able to recognize the signs and know what he was supposed to do and how to take action on it. And I think it's really, really important that we start looking at this from the military's point of view, or at least in a way to keep the military accountable, in that the military preaches and teaches how to respond to suicidal behavior and depression. They teach you the signs, what to say, what to do, the checklist of events. But you're not actually trained. You're taught and just like anything else in life, we're, if you're just told how to do something over and over again, uh, like today's guest mentioned, you start creating your own stigmas on how to deal with suicide, and you assume that you're already prepared and that you'll know what to do. And you, so you, know, you, you create stigmas on what you'll see, what you'll hear, what it'll all mean, and, you're just, and you'll believe that, well, when that time occurs, I'll know what to do. 
And let's face it, it's one of the few things in the military that is something that comes up at least annually with the suicide prevention breeze, suicide awareness, stuff like that. But you're only taught and you're not trained. And there, I can remember when I was in boot camp, the dozens of things we spent countless hours on that after I graduated boot camp, I only ever really used or referred to once, but I was so well trained on it that when it came up, I knew what to do. And with suicide in the military becoming such a huge deal, you would think that, that it's, it, maybe it's time for training. I'm not trying to call this event training, but today's guest was prepared for the next soldier that came along that was experiencing this. He was trained from his original experience with his friend that he knew what to do. He was ready to act upon it. Now, how do you recreate that? How do you How do you recreate that for proper training so that way people can go through the steps again and they know how to respond to it? Uh, You know, I don't know. Maybe maybe you put them in a room with a counselor and the counselor can go through maybe what that session looks like, or maybe um, you know maybe there's a maybe you sit on a support group. Maybe you bring someone who was suicidal into the briefing and they start talking to them about what they were going through. So it's not just it's not just like an officer sitting up here saying, here's what we think the signs are, here's what you should be looking for, but someone who gets up in front of a suicide prevention briefing saying, I almost killed myself, and this is what someone else did to prevent me from doing so. And giving them an opportunity to at least... If they're being taught being taught through a real life experience, not one that's in an over dramatized video, none of that, nothing that looks fabricated, a real life, genuine, authentic story, just like we're putting here on the One Too Many project, just like the purpose behind the panels, the events, the speakings, everything that we're doing and trying to teach people from real life scenarios and from you know, from the veterans themselves, like this is what happened and this is what you can do. And one thing that really bothers me about the suicide prevention briefings, you'll notice that I bring it up in a few interviews, it really bothers me because why are we waiting for the signs of suicide? Why are we waiting for the signs? There are, th- there are, Ways to practically intervene, which we've learned and I've I've spoken on through this podcast and the events that I do. There's things that we can do just as people to hope to never get to this point through empathy, through through a new purpose, and through mentorship. We can just be good human beings to each other and empathize with sadness and emotions and feelings and celebrate your happiness and your your achievements and your your victories in life. And we can give you renewed purpose. We can find a way for you to become uh, to to become a purpose driven human being, just like you were when you were in the military. And we can give it to you because not because we're afraid you might kill yourself, not because we think you might be suffering from depression, but because that's what I needed. That's what that guy needed. That's what that soldier needed. She did went through it and it all benefited us and it all benefited us through different times in our life. So we know it's important. So why are we just doing that? Why are we finding ways to implement that in the way that we interact with each other? And lastly, the mentorship. Anybody will tell you they need a mentorship. Everybody will tell you that a mentor is business owners have business mentors. People going through, people going in support groups have mentors and and everything in between. Mentorship is important, both having one and being one. So why not find that, why not help find that role or that scenario for people before any of this comes up? Now I've taken my opportunity to speak on that. I want to play a snippet from 
uh, the interview I had with Dr. Craig Bryan at the University of Utah in the Center for Veteran Studies, and he talks about the hope and the optimism that we had inside inside depression, PTSD, and suicidal behavior, and how it's just time to implement. The awareness is there. It's time to implement. In the meantime, here's a small, here's a short snippet, optimism and hope. I think it is important for people um, to realize that there actually is a, a very good reason to be hopeful and optimistic. Um, you know, I think over the past 10 years, those of us who have been in the military, you know, who have worked with service members and veterans have really, I think, had fair reason to be demoralized, uh, to say the least, uh, to kind of actually understate the problem. Um, but we are now getting to a point where many of the studies that we've been working on for years are wrapping up and we are finding extremely positive results. Um, whether it's related to suicide, there are treatment studies that are now wrapping up showing that the therapies that work in civilian populations for PTSD are extremely effective with military personnel veterans as well. And so really the rule is recovery, you know, and, and the rule is also living a life that is very high quality and that's worth living. Um, and now where I think we are at as a society is now transitioning these results into making sure that everybody kind of knows how to do it. So that, as you said, it's not just awareness anymore. Now it's implementation and action to positively impact the lives of military personnel and veterans. So it'd be in the mental health care system itself. So this would be something that we would want to do when a service member is reporting or describing thoughts of suicide or if they have already taken steps so they've already made a suicide attempt. That is where it's like, you know, we need to get people connected to these treatments. Um, now, what we're working on is the next step is in what do we do before that attempt is made, right? Um, so, or before the thoughts first emerge. And actually, that's the, the study that we're doing right now um, is to figure out, you know, before the event occurs, what is the way to strengthen a person's desire to live, uh, their hope for the future, um, and their ability to tolerate and to effectively cope with life problems that occur. Um, and like I said, the good news is the preliminary results are very promising, uh, but we still got a little ways to go before we can definitively answer that question. This week's resource is probably not one that many people would assume that I'd be that I would step forward in making. Um, not that it doesn't make any sense, but it's just it's. Um, not as obvious, I think, from the different way of looking at this. But you know, today's guest talks about the chaplain a lot and being able to bring someone to a chaplain. And the way that I think we should start using chaplains is not not as groups, but personally. If this is something, if if suicidal behavior and being able to prevent it and being able to intervene on it is something that um, that is important to you, and you're in the military or you're around a unit, meet with your chaplain and ask him. Hey, you know, not everybody's going to want to come to you. Not everybody's going to want to, you know, I'm not going to be able to convince anybody to come into your office and spill their guts to you. What can I do 
first to either warn them up to the idea of coming to you or what can I do that maybe you're doing that I can do instead and get the same effect without making them uncomfortable. You know, go to your chat. I mean, if that, that's the military's resource. That's the military's go-to. You might as well learn from the person. You might as well find out what they're doing and seeing if you can do it on your level. So this week's resource is your, is your local unit chaplain, not just as someone you can go to for help or that you can bring a friend to, but learn from them. Find out what they're doing. And, of course, I love the opportunity to thank my Kickstarter backers. This week, I'm grateful for the opportunity to thank Shannon McAfee, John Lee Dumas, Thomas Williams, James DeLecky, Mark Wade, Jennifer Marino, Stanley Morancini, Mallory O'Donnell, Adam Bomers, Jason Sargent, Angie Baker, Moose Moore, Anthony Pannone, Sandra Horning, Jeff Taylor, and Corey Chrisman. Thank you, everyone, for your pledges. I truly appreciate it. Thank you for listening to this week's episode. I hope you took something from it. I hope you're able to find a nugget of information, some sort of inspiration from this particular story. Dwell on it, meditate on it, think about how you can take these lessons and implement them in your own network. Thank you for listening. You can follow up with the One Too Many Project at O-N-E, the number two, manyproject.com, where all the episodes are. You can find ways to support the show and other information materials are available at the website. Thank you for listening. I will see you next week.